It is President's Day. Joining us to talk about presidents is the uh, professor at Minnesota State University of Mankato, uh, Professor Angela Jill Cooley. She is, of course, uh, someone who studies and teaches courses on constitutional legal history, civil rights, and, and foodways, as well as she also teaches the history of race and civil rights in the 20th century South. Uh, and as well, she's, uh, you know, research includes publications of the history of segregated restaurants, food regulation during World War One, and hunger and food insecurity in rural South as well. And she is, of course, knows the history of presidents, too. And she's kind enough to, to join us to talk about President's Day. Professor, very, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, the It is President's Day. We... It is interesting. We, I, I was talking earlier about the, the, the way that we looked at presidents when I was a kid. And there are these infallible individuals that could never do anything wrong. And the reality is, is the presidents are interesting because as you look back on them, you realize, oh, there's tons of faults with these guys. <laughs> there's a problem. It's just we have a tendency of kind of ironing over those things once they get into office. Yes, definitely. Um, and and today, I'm not sure that anyone would would look at presidents as infallible anymore. Um, certainly, the way that we've looked at presidents historically has changed over over time. The the the, the office itself has changed dramatically. I mean, as a matter of fact, I mean, a John Tyler after William Henry Harrison died, there was no order of secession at that point. I mean, he just as the vice president kind of jumped into the Oval Office and didn't leave. And so that kind of set that precedent that the vice president takes over for the president. You know, you, you, you there are some elements of the office which just because of the unique nature of it, I'll, I'll listen go to uh, Woodrow Wilson, who had had a fairly, by what many people have described, a fairly debilitating stroke towards the end of his second term. And was there were questions of how do you even remove a guy from office if he's incapable of even holding the office? And that wasn't established. But as well, the role of the presidency, that as well has changed. Talk a little bit about the history and how that office has evolved. Yes. Well, of course, we have a real focus on the presidency in this country. Um, voting rates tend to be higher in presidential election years. Tremendous amounts of money go into these elections. And the presidency is, of course, an important position. Um, but historically, there was actually, um, if you go back to our constitutional convention debates, there was actually a lot of fear over having a very strong presidency because, of course, our colonial experience had been with the king. And mm -hmm. by 1776, the Declaration of Independence had explicitly blamed the king for a whole host of wrongs. So there was a lot of fear um, in the aftermath of that, of course, of one person having a lot of power. Um, and there were a lot of debates in the Constitutional Convention. Well, of course, our first government, the Articles of Incorporation, didn't even have a single executive, didn't have a presidency. Um, and then the debates during the Constitutional Convention really revolved around, um, with regard to the executive, it's like, how many years does somebody serve? Because, of course, a longer term would give somebody more time to, to gain even more power, mm -hmm. right? So those were a lot of the debates early on. Of course, George Washington being the first president helped to alleviate a lot of those fears um, when he left office after two terms, really setting that precedent until, uh, until Franklin Roosevelt, of course, who was elected for four terms, broke, broke with tradition. The, uh, uh, when, when you look at 
you talk about the early days of this and the idea of were we a monarchy or were we a democracy sort of thing. I mean, there was, you know, I, I go back to Adams. I mean, he was one of those people that, no, I'm I'm above it all sort of thing. <laughs> this kind of idea that, you know, Jefferson and Adams really kind of butted heads with each other because, you know, Jefferson saw it much more as a, you know, as a, I don't want to say a symbolic head, but definitely a, you know, not nearly the all-encompassing power that Adams at times kind of, you know, presumed to, at least it appeared to, you know, put forward on that. You know, the, the idea of being counterbalanced by the House and the Senate and the Supreme Court, I think that, that that's what really kind of, you, you settle into your role, and as that as the role of president became older and older, it, it, that's what, what happened, is that you could find where your boundaries were, and sure, those get tested, and still do today. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was kind of went, you know to figure out the, the the system itself. By when we got to that point, I think that that's when the government as a, as as a whole started working fairly well. Yeah. Well, um, we by the twentieth century, really, the, of course, the founders had set up that checks and balances, right? Where each branch would keep the other in check. By the twentieth century, however. Um, Certainly by the Franklin Roosevelt administration, um, the presidency as an office had really encroached on a lot of those congressional prerogatives, something that Arthur Schlesinger, the um, historian, called the imperial presidency. Um, And arguably, that's still where we are today with the president having um, a lot more power. Now, that has been tested at times. Um, certainly tested in court as to how much power the president actually has to act without congressional authority. Um, but I think the, the 20th century really gave the presidency a lot more power. The, the office has been held by, you know, it's, it's, it's getting more diverse. Uh, you know, it's, I, I, I have a feeling that fairly, maybe this not in this next election, within a few, though, we're going to have finally a woman president. Um, we're, we're getting, we, we've, we've finally had our not, first non-white guy president uh, with Barack Obama. Talk a little bit about this. I mean, the, the modern mentality towards this office is not, I mean, it really is a, a difference in a set of rules that are now kind of in place where it is this idea that anyone can become president. Well, if they fall within the, you have to be a certain age, you got to be born in the United States. But if you are, you know, no matter who you are, it does seem like that the the ability, the possibility of an individual, any individual becoming president is much more there than it's ever been at any point in the history of this country. Well, I think so, for sure. I mean, the fact that now we have a woman, a black woman vice president who, you know, of course, could, you know, in in the worst case scenario, become president does demonstrate that, you know, those what we have you know, we've always kind of called ourselves the land where anyone can become president, right? That's to contrast us against uh, a monarchy where, you know, anybody can't become king, right? Um, But at the same time that we've thought about anyone can become president, it hasn't necessarily been reality. Um, But I think you do really see it as a reality, more of a reality today. Uh, joining us right now is uh, Jill Cooley, Associate Professor of Minnesota State University, Mankato, a history expert there talking about presidents and President's Day. So let's run through a few of these guys. Um, it, it, there are obviously ones that are more revered uh, than others. But if you were to take and say, you know, here are one or two presidents who are very underrated, that they actually did a lot more. Is Are, are there any that pop to your mind that's like, you know, you, you we th- this person's poor uh, – 
part of history is far larger than it really is recognized today. Yeah, I, I think I can think of a couple that I would consider maybe underrated. Um, William Howard Taft, who, of course, um, was president between Theodore Roosevelt and then um, Woodrow Wilson, who followed him. I think it's easy sort of to get lost in history if you are bookended by those two um, by those two presidents. Um, And he also he became president. He was. Theodore Roosevelt's chosen successor, um, but he angered many of the progressives, that's capital P progressive, of the period, including Theodore Roosevelt, um, because they saw him as a turn toward more conservative policies. Um, with that, and he angered Theodore Roosevelt so much that when Taft won the Republican nomination for the 1912 election, um, Theodore Roosevelt actually formed a third party in order to run against him. Um, but I think that Taft is probably a lot more progressive than the progressives gave him credit for at the time. Um, in fact, he um, instituted more antitrust suits than Theodore Roosevelt did. Um, and he, under his leadership, many of the reforms that had been part of the populist program back in the 1890s and would become a part of the progressive program, um, such as, you know, setting, letting the Interstate Commerce Commission set railroad rates, things like that. Many of those became realities in his administration. So I think he might be one that I would put in the underrated category. Well, and we should also make sure we mention this as you talk about this. Back then, I mean, the, the Republicans back then were much more like the Democrats today, and the Democrats back then were much more like the Republicans of today. And so, you know, it's you know, you look at Teddy Roosevelt, you know, the guy made the national park system. I mean, he was he was mm-hmm. you know he was a, he was a pretty good liberal progressive back then comparatively, and it, and it's it's a very different world as far as the labels of the parties today than that was back then. Is there any other presidents that you look back on and you just sort of say, you know, yeah, this this one probably this individual deserves more credit? Um, well, I think um, you know, President Jimmy Carter has been in the news a lot lately for um, for unfortunate reasons, of course. Um, mm. But you know, I think uh, I might would put him in that category as well as under his presidency is underrated, um, and I think that. Is accounted for a couple of reasons. One is, I think when his legacy um, is written, um, he'll certainly be known a lot for the humanitarian work of his post-presidency, so that might outshine his presidency a little bit. Um, He also was the victim, I think, of sort of the fallacy that we tend to have today to assign, you know, presidential responsibility for kind of global economic issues and of course that 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 they may have very little control over and that can happen to either party you know depending on who happens to be in you know office when one nation goes to war with with another for example Um, and I think Carter suffered from that a little bit because his presidency was so plagued with these larger economic issues Mm -hmm. Um, but you know his foreign policy Um, After years of our foreign policy being based on kind of Cold War containment ideas, um, and then Nixon, of course, coming in um, with detente, um, Carter really advocated a different type of foreign policy, one based on human rights. 
Um, and even though we never really saw that come to fruition, um, you know, in the Reagan era, um, it certainly did motivate and influence um, global human rights movements. Um, and so I think that's one thing um, that we can really attribute to, to Carter in his foreign policy era. You know, it's interesting when you talk about Carter, one of the things I always think about is that he that that's when things really started to change in politics in America because the Republicans knew they were in trouble uh, with Ford. They knew that this was this was not a popular president. He wasn't elected. He was the, the first president not elected uh, in either position. He has, uh, assumed office. And, and, and that they, you know, they're coming off of the Watergate scandal. There was this mentality of, well, if we can outscream the other guys, then we can control the narrative. And no matter, and, and granted, as you described, I mean, inflation was a legit problem back then and these mm-hmm. other issues. But when you look at the, the vitriol that they went after Carter with, that everything was a crisis, whether that was his brother or solar panels on top of the White House, mm-hmm. you know, they, they vilified him every step of the way just because they had to create him as a larger villain and, you know, and convince people in four years that when the next election came back in 1980, that you forget about Watergate, forget about Nixon, forget about Ford, we're the brand new Reagan party and you need to give us a chance. And that so, and it was successful for them. They ended up having success with it. But you know, that was one of the things I always felt bad about Carter for was that he was there was an over vilification. No matter what he did, to a point like Biden, you know, is today where it's no matter what he does, it's always going to be why didn't he do this instead? And I think that that is that's you know, it worked for the for the Republicans in 1980, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it, it doesn't it, it it has a tendency of distorting the legacy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would agree. Have you? Is there another president that has done more out of office than Carter? Can you come across? I have. I thought about that. I mean, I know that the like. I think Washington is the humanitarian stuff and toured the country and stuff like that. And but I can't think of another president who, when they left office, the impact they had post presidency was so great as Carter with with uh, with all the philanthropic work that he has done. I mean, it truly is remarkable. Yes, yes. And I can't think of a president who I would rate higher than Carter in terms of um, his his post-presidency legacy, certainly. It's um, building, building, building houses at 95, 96 years old. He's still out there with a hammer and nails right. uh, for Habitat for Humanity, which is an amazing program. That, that was his baby. And he's just he's done an amazing uh, amount of good. And I always I do love the photos of him every time he got on a plane. He would shake hands with everyone on the plane because they, you know, it was because it, 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 that is kind of cool that you see a president. You don't see them that often. And, you know, so he was always out there and, you know, he just seemed very approachable later on in life. Yes. And I think it can be attributable, one, to his his longevity. Right. He was um, obviously still relatively young when he left the presidency and he's he's had a, um, you know, a blessfully long um, life. And um, but I think it also because he was able that that emphasis on human rights that I mentioned as part of his presidency, we didn't really see that legacy live on in our foreign policy, mm-hmm. but we certainly saw that legacy of humanitarianism live on in his post presidency. I have to ask you, you're a historian, you're the expert. <laughs> is is there a president off the top of your mind? It's like, oh, my gosh, was that one bad? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um. I can think of a few. 
you. <laughs> I'm not sure that I really want to name names, but um, I can think of, I, I think one thing that I've been thinking of um, leading up to this interview, though, is how complicated presidencies can be. Um, with, and, and Abraham Lincoln really comes to mind. Um, Abraham Lincoln, of course, we know him as the great emancipator and um, obviously, you know, keeping the, the, the country together during Civil War, very, a very difficult time. Um, and I come from the South, where, of course, his legacy is that emancipation legacy. Um, but when I moved to Mankato 10 years ago, yeah. I realized that his legacy was much more complicated because, of course, he is the one. Um, I mean, we weren't just fighting one war at that time, right? We were fighting two wars, um, one um, up here largely in Minnesota, right, the Dakota War for land. And he was the one who issued the order to hang 38 Dakota prisoners here in Mankato, which leads uh, to a much more complicated legacy um, than I think we often teach with Abraham Lincoln or that we often think about. Um, and so, I, I, you know, that's sort of what's come to my mind in terms of um, presidencies. The decision uh, presidencies can often be much more complicated than you know, then we, then we remember them as, you know, I, I, I can remember the first time I, I heard from a native American in regards to Lincoln and they said, Oh, he was a horrible president. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what? And the reality is the failure of our education system at points. I think today we're, we're getting much more of a, a much more well-rounded historical perspective. And I talked about this earlier in the show, a much more well-rounded historical perspective that takes in all the faults and, and negatives as well as accomplishments of any individual. And you weigh them together and it's never an easy decision. you got to look at a lot of things. But the reality is I never even knew about that until I was much older in life. And when I did realize that, I was like, yeah, I can easily see why if you're a Native American, Lincoln was not a great man for you. And and it was it, it, it so it's that's the thing about history. History is never easy. It's very complicated. And so, as you said, I, you could name off presidents you didn't like. There are probably many people that could come back on the same president and say, well, here's the reason I did like them, because there is nothing that's necessarily point A to point B in any of this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I, I gotta tell you the truth. I, I'm very glad you had time today to talk about this. Uh, I enjoy talking history and I especially love talking to people who are experts in this issues and, and bring their perspective in there. Uh, I just, I, Taft, I always thought was just got stuck in the bathtub. Who knew? Who knew? By the way, that is a myth, right? He didn't actually get stuck in the bathtub, did he? <laughs> I believe I believe that probably is a myth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> apocryphal. One of the many apocryphal stories that we have of our um, of our presidency. Indeed, uh, Professor Angela Jill Cooley, Associate Professor of History at Minnesota State University, Mankato. I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Please come back whenever you have some time. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much.